1: If you have your Bibles, turn to the 30th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30. Somebody said, man, what happened to your hair, Pastor? Well, I cut it all off and I found white. And, uh, and my mama always told me you could wear white after Easter. So that's exactly... <laughs> How many heard that growing up? You can wear white after Easter. You know the white is the new black. And uh, so I've just gone white. So we'll do it that way. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. Isaiah chapter 30. This is a promise to the children of Israel um, when they were in a difficult situation. And they had been scattered. they They had rebelled against God. And the prophet Isaiah speaks a promise to them. Gives them a promise of this is what can happen and this is what God wants to do. And it's not only to the nation of Israel back then, but it's to us today. So, when you read this with me this morning, understand it's a promise that God has for you right where you are. This is what God wants to do in your life. Now, notice what he says. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. He said, doesn't it make any difference how dark it is for you right now? God's promise is that the light of the moon... Even on the dim days, on the dark days, the light of the moon will be as the light as the sun. And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days. When will this happen? In the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of His people and heals the stroke of their wound. When God binds up your bruises and heals your wound, God says you don't have to live in darkness and dimness. You don't have to live with a cloud of heaviness hanging over you anymore. That's not His plan. That's not His purpose. He's got good days for you. And some of us need to remember that. Um, I recently read a statement from Mark Twain. Anybody remember Mark Twain from your school days? Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens was his real name, but he went by the pen name of Mark Twain. He was an American writer and humorist. He said this, If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. This is the principal difference between a dog and a man. Think about it. If you pick up a starving dog and make that dog prosperous, he will not bite you. This is the principal difference between a dog and a man. I don't know about you, but Amanda and I, I'm more so than she is. I'm a dog lover. How many dog lovers do we have in the house? How many cat lovers do we have in the house? I'm a dog lover. I'm a dog lover. I like cats as long as they're in somebody else's house. That's when I like cats. I love dogs because of their loyalty. And their appreciation for the things you do for them. Mark Twain said it well. He said if you rescue a dog, it doesn't make any difference how bad that dog has been injured or abused. It makes no difference how many scars that dog has. But if you rescue a dog and you create an environment for that dog to be healthy and to be well fed and to be happy, that dog will be loyal to you for the remainder of his life. I know I know my little dog, my little sheltie, Annie. Some days she's the only living soul that is happy to see me. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? She is just happy to see me. It doesn't make any difference. There's been mornings that I'll leave the house, I'll walk out, I'll get in the car in the garage, and then all of a sudden I'll remember I forgot something, and I'll get out of the car and walk right back in the house. I hadn't been out of the house 15 seconds, and she will greet me like I'm a long-lost friend. Then there's evenings I go in, and Amanda and the kids are there, and Casey and Devin there. The first thing they don't say to me, "Oh, we're glad you're here." Or they say, "Did you stop by the grocery store? Why didn't you stop by the grocery store? Did you get the dry? Why didn't you get the dry clean? Did you forget to do this? Take the dry clean." Take the, you know, but my and then Annie will come up to me. <laughs> I just love my dog. I love my dog. You know, unfortunately, Mark Twain was right. It's not always true with humans. It often seems the very people we love and do the most for are the very ones who hurt you the most. I wished it wasn't that way. But it just seems like sometimes that happens. And you know, it seems like every week now, I'm getting reports of somebody who's stopped going to church, someone's walked away from their faith, someone has gotten offended and given up on God. And the reasons are us, but one of the main reasons I hear people walking away from God and giving up on their faith and walking away from the church is somebody hurt them. Somebody offended them. Somebody did them wrong. Somebody uh, abused them. Why is it that we're tempted to walk away from our faith when we go through a difficult season in our life? We go through some hard times and, and we walk away from our faith. What is the reason we stay away from our church, our faith community, when we're betrayed. I've never understood this one. Some, sometimes or someone at work does us wrong and we stop going to church service. I mean, that person didn't even go to our church. But they do us wrong at work and we stop going to church. How does that happen? What is that all about? A family member talks bad about us, bad about us and it hurts so we stop stop serving in our local church. Why does that happen? Someone offends us and... We give up on God. He didn't do it. Some person did it. But we give up on God. Why are we like that? Where did we get the idea that the life of faith and living in Christian community with one another was going to be always easy and without difficulty? Here's something I've learned over the years. I am just turned 60 a few months ago, three months ago. And here's something that I've learned over these last 60 years. In life someone is going to break your heart. Regardless of how spiritual you are, regardless of, of uh, uh, what you do, someone will abandon or leave you. Whatever, you choose to, whatever church you and I choose to attend, eventually, someone there is going to say something hurtful to us. There's not a perfect place. Regardless of how loyal and loving we try to be, eventually someone is going to let us down. Somebody's going to lie to us. Somebody's going to stab us in the back or reject us. I'm not being negative here, and I'm, I'm not being a downer on your Sunday morning. I'm going to get to the good point in a second. But I just want you to understand, this is just life. I wished it wasn't that way. I wished everybody was like my little Annie, that she loved seeing me coming in, and as far as I'm concerned, I feed her. I take care of her. I take her on walks. I take her to the bark park, and she runs and has a good time. I give her treats. She sleeps at the foot of my bed, and I do all these things. I dote over her, and I do all these things for her, and she looks at me and says, You're doing all this for me? You must be king. You're king. Now, see, that's the difference in a dog and a cat. You do all that stuff for Annie, the dog? She looks at me and says, You're doing all for this for me? you must be king. The cat, you feed them, you take care of them, you let them sleep at the foot of your bed, and they think, you're doing all this for me? I must be king. (laughs) And that's how a cat treats you. You know those things that the city comes around and grinds up the limbs and those are called, and in in where I come from, catmobiles. <laughs> Forgive me. All right. <laughs> somebody in life's going to hurt you. It doesn't make any difference how wonderful you've been, how loyal you try to be, how spiritual you are, how much you try to pray, how you go out of their way to help somebody in life eventually. Is going to do you wrong, and it hurts. It creates if we don't get healed up, it creates a wound. We'll go through a tragedy. We'll go through the death of a loved one. We'll go through a, a being misused at work or abused or overlooked at work. And if we're not careful, it'll create a wound. Things things are not always going to go our way. In fact, as you're listening to me this morning. It might be that you're thinking about the person who did you wrong. Maybe a parent who left you. A spouse who cheated on you. A sibling who refuses to talk with you. We dealt with that this morning in the first service. People came up for prayer and one of them, their mother and their sister won't even talk to them. A child who has chosen to rebel against the values you taught them. Or a friend who betrayed a Sacred secret you shared with them. We, we all go through those moments of hurt and brokenness where someone has not treated us correctly. Whatever it was or whoever it was, it caused a wound. It caused a wound in you. And here's what happens to people whose wounds do not get healed. The wound that you suffered cuts off our love supply. See, we say, oh, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. They did me wrong. Oh, don't worry about it. It didn't bother me. But if you're not careful, if we're not careful, the wound we suffer will cut off our love supply and we will start, stop living the God, way God intended us to live. Jensen Franklin says this. He's a pastor and an author. might have seen him on TV. He says this, It's easy to love others when we have no conflict with them. Or when we share the same viewpoint they share. It's easy to love those of the same theology or the same standard. It's easy to love when marriage is in the honeymoon stage, when our children act right, and when we're enjoying health and happiness. But no one lives in that state all the time. End quote. Getting hurt is a part of life, it's inevitable. But it doesn't have to be the end. Of your story. Did you hear me? I said getting hurt is a part of life. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. You can't insulate yourself from it completely. It's going to happen. But it doesn't have to be the end of your story. It doesn't have to sideline you. And make you feel less than God's best. God does not want us walking around the remainder of our life wounded. He wants you healed and whole. And this is what God's promised. The children of Israel had failed God. They had now been plundered and destroyed by their enemies. They had been scattered. They had been separated from their family and friends. Their home had been overrun by their enemies. And they had been sent into a distant land and god sends them a promise even in their they were a wounded people and a wounded nation they used to be the biggest and the best and the most powerful and now they're the 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 least in the world they're wounded and god sends them a promise he says there's coming a day when the light of the sun will be as the light, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up your bruise and heals the stroke of their wound. Saints, listen to me this morning. Church family, listen to me this morning. Regardless of the severity of your pain, the Lord desires to bind up your bruise and heal your wound. I want you to leave here today. If you are broken and if you are wounded, I want you to leave here today understanding that God wants you healed and whole. But pastor, you don't understand what they did to me. And you don't understand what they meant to me. And you don't understand what they took from me. And you don't understand how bad that hurt me. And pastor, it cannot be undone. What they did cannot be undone. That situation cannot be fixed. And the thought of it not being able to be fixed is eating me alive. You just don't understand, Pastor. Granted, some moments change everything about us and our families for the rest of our lives. Whether loss, a betrayal, an addiction, an infidelity, a tragedy... Without a doubt, these things affect the dynamics of our relationships. And here's something you and I have to come to a realization of. Some things will never be the way they once were. The truth is, some things get broken and can never be put back the same. Are you listening to me? Let's get real here this morning. We're getting real here this morning. Some things get broken. I wish I could say everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Everything will be back the way it was. There are some brokenness in our lives. There's some things that happen. There's some tragedies. There's some betrayals. There's some wounds that cut so deep that things cannot be put back the way they once were. To have it the way it once was will never happen. Unfortunately, though, this is where many of us get stuck. We live with the regret that things will never be the same, and our life from here on will be less than best. And I want to change your thinking this morning. See, great men, if if you're stuck thinking, well, he betrayed me, he left me, the company did me wrong, they didn't appreciate me, The death of my parents changed everything. They died too soon. Or this happened, or my sibling did me wrong, or a partner in business stole from me. Whatever the tragedy, whatever the brokenness, whatever the pain, whatever the betrayal you've had, it might be so severe that your situation in your family dynamic cannot be put back the way it is or the way it was. And we get stuck right there living with regret thinking, since it will never be the way it was, then my life will always be less than best. And you're not the only one that's thought that. Great men of God thought that same thing. The prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel anointed and celebrated the kingship of a man named Saul. The Bible tells us that Saul looked like a king. Saul was a warrior like a king. And the people wanted a king, and God's hand came upon him, and Saul became king. But after a few years of leading, all of a sudden a character flaw surfaced in his life. And it was revealed that he was a man-pleaser more than a God-pleaser. And the Bible tells us that the hand of God of favor lifted off Saul, and God rejected him as king. And when that happened, the prophet Samuel was devastated. He was thinking, God's man is not going to finish this out. We're ruined as a nation. God will not lead us now. It'll never be what God needs it to be. He messed up. And now we have a wound. We'll never arrive at God's destiny for our lives individually and as a nation. And he was devastated about it. He thought they would forever be slaves and less than best, and it would never be God's A plan for him ever or the nation ever again. And we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. Look what God said to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? I mean, Samuel's devastated. And God finally says to him, Hey man, stop crying over spilt milk. Stop crying over something of the past. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, the anointing oil, and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. What does that mean, Pastor? It means this. The truth is, some things get broken and can never be put back the same. Yet our Heavenly Father can make all things new. And some of us get stuck grieving over the brokenness of the past situation and are regretting that it's going to never be the same again. And God is saying, listen, there's nothing you can do about that. And don't you start believing that it will never be good. That that situation will never be the same, but I'll give you a brand new situation that's going to be even better than the one you thought was the best in your life. Listen to Isaiah chapter 43. The same prophet said the same thing to the same people. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. One translation says, don't you see it? See, most of us can't see the new that God wants to do because we're grieving over the brokenness that we once had. And God says, I want you to forget that. that, That's not going to be fixed. It's never going to be the same. But stop grieving over it. They're gone. They left you. They did you wrong. They died prematurely. Christmas is not going to be the same without them. Holidays are not going to be the same without them. Your marriage is not going to be the same because He left you. It's not going to be the same. But I'm telling you, I want you to stop grieving over that. I'm going to give you something better. That's what God says. For those here this morning, those watching by live stream, who still have open wounds from something that occurred in your past, God wants you healed. God has a new path and a new plan for you. But if you're focused on your wound, you can't see it. God says, I want to make it so that the light of the moon is like the light of the sun. When we suffer a wound, often we live in a fog. We live in a fog. We go through the motions of life, but every day we fight to maintain joy. And even on our best days, when you're wounded... You're good On your best days, it's still, the light is dim. But God promises healing of our wounds. And then he says this, And the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. God says there's going to get something better for you. I've got something better for you. When we are wounded, we start viewing others. Now, here's what you need to understand. When we're wounded, we start viewing others through the filter of our hurt instead of the filter of hope. And all of our new relationships are fragile when we approach them with a wound. We're scared to trust, and we're afraid to love again when we're wounded. But God promises a healing that will give you a new future and give us new relationships, new adventures, brighter than the brightest day of your past adventure. He says, your new day, the sun will be seven times brighter than the sun was for you before. But you've got to believe that. We've got to stop living in the regret of our past and nursing that wound. We've got to get healed so that we can see God's new day and new adventure for us. You say, Pastor, how do I get my wound healed? How do I get it healed? Well, let me give you, let me give you some deep revelation. I'm, I'm getting ready. Now listen to me. I'm getting ready to lay some heavy revvy on you right here. Are you ready? How do you get healed from your wound? Some of you have been carrying a wound for 10 years. I know. I've talked to some of you. And you'll talk about some, something that somebody did to you 10 years ago. Just just recently, had a pastor call me, I need help. I said, well, you need, I just need, a, I'm emotionally messed up. Well, what do you need, my friend? He said, well, I, a church did me wrong. I said, well, okay, I understand that. Uh, uh, how long, I, I was under the understanding that it, it would just happen. I said, so, so tell me about it. He said, well, 14 years ago. And I realized this guy had been carrying this wound for 14 years. Years. And some of you can replay every moment of your brokenness and the thing that caused your wound. It might have happened 10 years ago, or five years ago, or three years ago. You remember every word of the conversation. You remember where you were, and what time of the day it was, and how the whole thing went down. You've replayed it in your mind over and over again. You continue to carry this wound. And the Lord wants you healed, but you've got a part to play here. So how do you get healed from your wound? Here it is. Here's the heavy revelation. Stop picking at your wound. Stop picking at your wound. Raised by a widowed mother, James Garfield, was elected the 20th president of the United States. He served only four months of his presidency when he was shot in the back by a would-be assassin, July the 2nd, 1881. Three months, listen, three months after he was shot, President Garfield died. But he did not die from the bullet. The bullet lodged behind the pancreas, but did not damage or affect any other vital organs. Back then, the use of sterilized equipment was not a priority. So minutes after the president was shot, doctors stuck their fingers and unsterilized instruments into his wound over and over, trying to retrieve the bullet. For the next 80 days, President Garfield underwent numerous Surgeries and procedures with unsterilized instruments trying to make him better. Eventually, he died. Not from the bullet, but from the infection in his body. An infection that was created by the constant probing and picking of his wound. If you want your wound healed, if I want my wound healed, we must stop probing it and picking at it. Can I get an amen? Amen. You say, well, how do I do that? We replay the bad memories repeatedly in our mind. You're picking at it. Every time you think about it. Every time you entertain it. Every time you play the whole scenario over and over and over again. Guess what you're doing? You're picking at your wound. We talk about the event or person repeatedly to anyone who will listen. Guess what you're doing? You're picking at your wound. We think of ways to get revenge. Oh, this is one Amanda, I have to pray with Amanda about. Boy, I'm going to tell you, she will take you out. I was raised Pentecostal, we were taught to love. She was raised Church of Christ. They will take you out. We think of ways to get revenge. We, for years, poke and prod at our wound until our emotions and spirit becomes infected with bitterness and a hard heart. Our wound will never heal if we continue to pick at it. Find a trusted friend. Find a spiritually mature person. Find a counselor or a spiritual leader who you can pour your heart and get all that poison out to. But once you've done that... Stop picking at it. It just keeps the wound infected. Listen, getting on social media and telling everybody, you're just picking the wound. Talking to everybody about it over and over. is not getting rid of the poison. It's picking the wound and causes infection to breed. I can see you're really fired up about this. Uh, But I'm going to tell you to change your life. Another thing that occurs when we keep an open wound, we become contagious in a bad way. Not only do we stay infected, but if we're not careful, we'll infect other people. Talking about our hurt and our offense to others infects others with our poison. When we listen to someone's story of being done wrong, and even though we have had no negative interaction with the accused guilty party, when we encounter them, we treat them differently because someone else's poison has infected us. I've had people come and dump on me, and that's what I am, Pastor. And I'm supposed to be spiritually mature, but the next time I see that person who they've dumped about, I have to really... Get my mind clean to be able to deal with that person in a mature Christian way. And I work on it. I understand what's happening. Can you imagine how many times you have believed something about someone based on somebody's poison that they've shared that happened to them? I've had people, I've seen them on Sunday, and they were as kind and friendly, and by the next Sunday, they wouldn't even speak to me. And I had, had no interaction with them during the week. And Amanda said, "Well, what's wrong with them? Last week they were so kind and friendly, and this week they turned and walked off. And when they saw us, and wouldn't even speak to." Them. I said, "Well, they've talked to so so-and-so, and so, and so and so's man because I didn't do what they wanted me to do, and they've talked to so and so. Now they've got poisoned by so and so." So understand that when we keep our wound open, it not only keeps us from getting healed, it infects. Other people as well. So stop picking your wound. Get the poison out. Tell somebody that's trusted and leave it there. Number two. It sounds contradictory to the first one, but it's not. Admit you're broke. Admit your brokenness. Admit you're hurt. Admit you're wounded. This is the reason uh, most men most men struggle with this one. Because men never like to give in, give people the impression that they're vulnerable or they're out of control. I didn't bother me. Don't don't think nothing about it. didn't bother me. I don't care what you said. Ah, no, I didn't think. And you know it cut deep and you're wounded. But men don't like to give the impression that we're out of control. This is the reason why most men will never stop mass for directions. They don't like admitting they're out of control. Can I get an amen from some wives in the in the Several years ago I was a preaching for a pastor in a major city here in, in the United States, and we was driving through his city, and we'd been driving around for quite some time, and I was just talking to him and I was enjoying the sights and talk, and then I kept noticing we keep going by this one landmark twice. And finally I and this was before GPS's. And finally, after a couple of times around this same landmark, I said, are we lost? And he quickly replied. I mean, he bounced back. No, we're not lost. And he kept driving. I didn't say nothing about it. I could see, man, I said something wrong. He kept driving. After a few more minutes, we passed that landmark the third time. And I said, we are lost. Let's stop and ask someone where we are where we need to go. He pulled over real quickly on the side of the road, put it in park, and he looked at me. I'm in the passenger seat. He looked at me, and with a stern look on his face, he said, I've never been lost. There have been times I didn't know where I was, but I've never been lost. (laughs) He couldn't admit a moment of vulnerability. God wants us healed, but we must let Him. And before we let Him, we must admit we're broke. Personally, I struggle with the temptation of wanting to hide my struggles. I, don't want every, I, don't, I, I struggle with this. I don't want people to know I'm struggling. I don't want people to know I'm hurt. Amanda and I have been through some dark and difficult days, but we don't want anybody to know. At times we put on a facade. We put on a fake smile. We say the right things and we hide the baggage we're carrying in life. Because we, it's hard to admit you're hurting. We've been betrayed. We've been promised things and people forgot their promises. We've been falsely accused more than we can count. We've been, been the main entree of numerous Sunday lunches. And at times, we think loyalty is a forgotten characteristic. Over the last eight years, I've been paid a compliment here more than any other. Um, The compliment is not my singing voice. Nobody ever says to me, boy, you sing like the birds in spring. I've never had that compliment. I've never had anyone say to me, boy, your sermons are the most electrifying sermons. I sit on the edge of my seat every time you open your mouth to articulate the God's Word. I've never heard anybody say that. I usually don't get complimented. Nobody's ever said, you know, you're probably the smartest preacher I've ever met. Are you kin to Einstein? I've never had anybody say that. Nobody's ever give reference that I'm handsome like Richard Gere. I was preaching in West Tennessee at a rural church on a Sunday night and a guy did tell me I favored Captain Kangaroo but uh, (laughs) Richard Gere, Captain Kangaroo they're both on TV I mean uh, you can get them mixed up all the time I haven't heard any of those compliments here's what I hear more than any other you tell on yourself more than any preacher we've ever heard We have never heard a preacher reveal his weaknesses like you do. You know what? There have been moments and seasons in our life that the heartbreaks we encountered have injured and even broke Amanda and I. But what we've learned is that hiding our wound does not heal our wound. Hiding it does not heal our wound. Scars are not a sign of shame but a testimony of God's ability to heal deadly wounds. Scars are not a sign of shame, but they're a testimony. (laughs) You say, oh, come on. Well, Jesus, he revealed his scars. Turn with me real quickly to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, Jesus has just been resurrected from the dead, and His disciples are talking, and He shows up. He says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. where they'd been pierced. He had scars. Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them the scars in his hands and feet. Scars are not a sign of weakness. They're a testimony of God's ability to heal the most death-defying wound. So stop picking at it. And admit you're struggling. And the healing will begin. The healing will begin. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Stand with me, would you?